The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of your property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, but I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee. Oh, Christ. 
Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Although it's rather unpleasant, and I think we would avoid it if we could, it is much, much easier for us to picture God as angry than joyful. It's much easier for us to think of God as one who is angry than one who is joyful. You heard it in the hymn we just sang at the end of that first verse. Led by you to see my errors, Lord, I tremble at your terrors. And all you have to do is think about certain stories from the Old Testament. The flood, where God covers the world with water, saving only Noah and his family. Or Sodom and Gomorrah, where he rains down sulfur and fire from heaven. Or think back a couple of weeks ago to the scene with Isaiah in the throne room of God. When you picture God in that throne room with the foundations trembling and fire and smoke, what kind of a look is on his face? Is it one of joy? Or is it a grim look, severe? Is God angry or joyful? Now, of course, we know that God is angry about sin, and that's why I think it is easier for us to picture God as angry than joyful, because we know what's in our hearts. We know that he has every right to be angry at us, just as that son who returned to his father after squandering his inheritance had every right to think that his father was going to just let him have it. He came with this plea, this desperate plea, let me just be like a servant, please. He expected his father to be angry because of his sin. Jesus tells us some parables today in order to show us that as much as God is angry about sin, his joy over the repentance of a sinner far exceeds that anger. His joy far exceeds his anger. It is far greater than it ever could be. To get this picture, the first thing you have to do is remember some time when you've lost something. So I was trying to think about what the best examples of this are, and I think maybe, maybe you, this doesn't happen to you, but I lose my keys every so often. Have you lost your car keys before? I'm sure it happens to everybody, or maybe it doesn't ever happen to you, but it happens to your spouse, right? Everybody loses something at some time. And that feeling of not knowing where it is is terrible. Of course, in our house, if you lose something, if something is misplaced, all you have to do is think like a toddler, and then you can find out where it was stashed for safekeeping. Everybody's lost something at some point in time. That feeling of not knowing where your car keys are is a terrible feeling, right? You're distracted. You can't concentrate. You're not going to go anywhere until you've torn the house apart looking for your car keys. Now think about, of course, the opposite of that, the great joy and relief and satisfaction you feel when you turn over that last pillow on the couch and there your keys are sitting in, of course, the last place you'd ever look and you resolve I'm always going to put them in the same spot every time so I never lose them again. Right? That joy, that's ecstasy. That feeling of utter relief. Your life has been restored. Things are back to normal. You can go about business as usual. The distraction is gone. Now, when you lose your car keys in your home, really, it's a case of misplacing them. They're somewhere in the house, but you just don't know where they are. They're in the house, you just don't know where they are. They've been misplaced. But there is a cut, another kind of loss that is perhaps a bit more severe. Not perhaps, it is more severe. It's like this, if you're in the boat and you drop your car keys over the side of the boat, you know exactly where they are. They've not been misplaced. They're right down there at the bottom of the lake, but you are never going to get them back. They're unrecoverable. They are hopelessly lost. So there are two different kinds of ways that a thing can be lost. It can be misplaced, or it can be unrecoverable. 
to get a deeper sense of this, think about the kind of loss that we experience when we lose loved ones. That's an unrecoverable loss, a hopeless kind of a loss. It's a desperate kind of a loss that we feel to our core because, of course, it's completely unnatural to lose someone. You were never meant to lose your loved ones. And we react so often with simply disbelief. Not, we can't believe that it's actually true that this person is gone, that I'm not going to talk to them anymore. They're not going to wake up. I'm not going to hear their voice. That sense of loss is devastating. Far worse, of course, than misplacing your car keys or dropping them over the side of the boat. So now imagine, after experiencing that sense of hopeless loss, imagine the kind of joy you would feel if you regained one of your loved ones whom you had lost. If you got back from death and the grave, someone you had lost without hope, without sense of recovery, what kind of joy would that be? It would be unimaginable. There's no way you could comprehend it. You can't even imagine it uh, in your wildest dreams, what kind of joy that would be. We have some stories in the Bible that tell us about that kind of joy. There's the story of the widow of Nain, whose husband had died at some point, and now her only son has died. And they're marching down the street in the funeral procession, and the boy is in the casket. And Jesus comes up alongside the funeral procession with all the mourners about, and he touches the casket, and he tells that dead body to arise, and the boy is restored to his mother. It's impossible to imagine that kind of joy, how she must have felt. Her life was over, having lost her husband and her son, and now her life is back because her son has been restored. We also have, of course, the story of Lazarus, who was in the tomb for four days. Imagine the joy of Mary and Martha. They said to Jesus, don't bother. He's been in there for four days. It's going to stink. Don't mess around with that. And of course, Jesus goes up to the tomb and speaks into the tomb, into the grave, into death, speaks to that dead body and says, Lazarus, come out. Imagine their joy. Imagine Jesus' own joy, Jesus who wept at the death of Lazarus. What a relief to have back a loved one whom you've lost. Jesus tells us these parables today to give us a picture of God's joy when he receives back one of his children who are lost, when a sinner repents. He tells us these stories because it's hard for us to comprehend. It's easier for us to imagine God as being angry, but he wants us to see where God's joy truly lies. So he tells us the story about the shepherd who goes after one lost sheep. And finding that lost sheep, he comes back and he calls all of his friends and neighbors and he says, come and rejoice with me for my sheep who was lost has been found. Likewise with the woman who lost one of her ten coins. She sweeps the house, lights a lamp, turns everything over, and when she finds her coin, she cannot help but share her joy with her friends and family and neighbors. But really, those two stories, I think, pale in comparison with that third story, the story of the prodigal son. How can the joy of that shepherd and the joy of that woman even come close to approximating the joy of that father who received back his son who was lost? I think it's reasonable to assume that his grief at the loss of his son is far worse than the grief of someone who loses a child to tragic death because this son didn't just go away but chose to leave, willfully rejecting his father. He must have been desperate. He must have been utterly overtaken with grief. And now, imagine his joy. In fact, we don't have to imagine it. He can't even 
wait to hear his son's excuses. He stops him mid-speech and said, calls to his servants and says, Go get a fattened calf and slaughter it. Get, in the robe, get our best robe and put it on his shoulders. Put the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. We're going to have a party. The biggest party you've ever seen because my son, who was dead, who was dead, is alive again. My son who was lost is found. That is the joy of our Heavenly Father when one sinner repents, when just one sinner repents. Now Jesus tells this parable to some Pharisees who were grumbling because Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. He tells them that parable because he needs them to see that his heavenly father rejoices with sinners and tax collectors who repent. Imagine what the scene was like. I don't know if anybody's ever pictured it before. I certainly hadn't before this, before preparing for this sermon. Picture what the scene was like. Jesus wasn't just sitting at dinner with, dinner, with sinners and tax collectors like a normal business dinner or a normal family affair. Imagine the joy that Jesus experienced sitting with those sinners and tax collectors who were eagerly listening to him, these people who were lost but now have been found. Imagine the joy he was expressing in being with them. That kind of joy was what drove the Pharisees nuts. And so that's why Jesus tells these parables. He tells these parables because the Pharisees are grumbling. The Pharisees are grumbling because... They think of those sinners and tax collectors the same way you would think of your keys if you drop them over the edge of your boat. The Pharisees think that the sinners and the tax collectors are hopelessly lost, that they're lost beyond recovery. One of the points of these parables that Jesus tells us is that no one, no one is hopelessly lost. No one is lost beyond recovery. So long as someone lives and breathes, they are not hopelessly lost. Despite what their life may look like, despite the wickedness they may be living in, the sin that they have in their past and their present, there is no one who is hopelessly lost. And this is where the Pharisees get it wrong. They are correct, of course, that these people are sinners and tax collectors. They have no business in the kingdom of God. They have no business in the kingdom of God. They're the worst kind of people you can imagine, the scum of the earth. Picture the worst kind of people you can imagine. Murderers, adulterers, pornographers, child abusers. These are those kind of people. Terrible. Nobody wants to be around them. They don't belong in the kingdom of God. So the Pharisees are right in judging these people, that they don't belong in the kingdom of God. But they are wrong in judging God's love. They've measured God's love and found it wanting. They think that God's love cannot extend to such sinners as these. They think that these people are too far gone for God to reach them. But of course, Jesus shows us that the grave has no power, that death cannot hold him, and so of course, sin cannot prevent him from showing his love. No sin is too great, no wickedness too grievous for his love. No one is hopelessly lost. You should let this shape how you think about the people in your life. It's very tempting for us to write people off, at least from the kingdom of God, because we think they're too far gone. Or they'd never be interested. It's just not for them. They're not the kind of people you'd expect to see in the kingdom of God. These parables show us, of course, that those are precisely the kind of people who enter into the kingdom of God, because it is not their lives that matter for their entrance into the kingdom of God. What matters is God's great love for them. And how great is God's love, extending even into the grave 
to the depths of the sea, the farthest reaches of this earth, the farthest corners of your heart, there is no one who is hopelessly lost. But Jesus tells us these parables not just so that we can temper our expectations of other people, so that we don't misjudge them the way the Pharisees do, but he also tells us these parables so that we can see God's joy over our repentance. For you also were at one time the kind of person who no one would expect to be in the kingdom of God. You all were at one time, and I myself was, the kind of person that everyone would look at and say, this person is hopelessly lost. Whether it was from the moment you were born, to some previous life you lived, to a moment ago, a day ago, a week ago, you were hopelessly lost. But that did not stop God from calling you, from showing his great love for you. There is no one who is hopelessly lost. And that is why Jesus shows us the joy of his Father today, because his joy, his ecstasy, his rejoicing and celebration at the return of one of his children is a reflection of his love. He cannot hold it in. His excitement is overflowing. It is abundant, like the excitement of that father who has received back his son, who was dead, but now is alive again. If you need to see the father's joy, all you need to do is hear the songs that we sing here in this place and receive the meal that God serves for you, the feast that's prepared for you. No greater feast could he have prepared, slaughtering better than the fattened calf, giving you his own son, his own son's body and blood, which fill you with all good things, which forgive your sins and bring you out of your depths to life everlasting. What joy the Father has for us, because we are sinners who have repented. What joy the Father has in store for the world, for the many who are yet to repent, whom he calls by the voice of the church, by the voice of you, his children, who carry his message out into the world. Who is a God like ours, who pardons iniquity, as Micah says, and passes over transgression, who does not retain his anger forever, but longs to rejoice at the return of his children. He shows compassion to us and treads our iniquities underfoot, and he casts all of our sins into the depths of the sea. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.